0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast where we look at the Bible, theology, doctrine, tradition, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. We strip it all away, and we ask, what do I believe? Why? Is that even in the Bible? And we leave ourselves with a reconstructed faith. Yes, hello, and welcome back to Reconstructed Faith. I hope you are well, that the last couple weeks haven't sucked uh, any more than necessary. And uh, if you pay attention to the world around us at all, you know exactly what I mean. We are still enduring this COVID pandemic. Uh, We've got mandatory masking, um, at least where I'm at and um you know we've got we've got protests we've got antifa setting up little protest cities in side city inside cities we've got the threat of martial law we've got blm we've got the church n- not even being able to agree uh, to agree with itself on how to love people through this Um, Do we close churches? Do we meet with masks? Do we leave churches open because, uh, you know, you need to trust God with your health? And, uh, you know, do, uh, do black lives matter? Do all lives matter? Like, how do we love people through this? And there's just turmoil all around us. So I hope it hasn't touched you too personally and uh, you know, messed with your family and your friends and all that stuff, and that your life hasn't sucked any more than it needs to. So, um, I hope you're well. That you or and loved ones don't have COVID, and um, that you're getting on okay. This is the first episode in a five-part series. It's my, um, basically it's a. The next five um, episodes are going to be on um, what I call the five-step gospel. So this, as well as the idea of the Trinity, are like the two things I am immovable on. They're as closed-handed as I get um, as far as my theology and my doctrines. Um, as long as you believe in the gospel correctly, as I'm as, um, about to outlay over the next 10 weeks, or um, layout rather, would be a better way to say that, and um, you believe in the Trinity, we're good. Um, as far as everything else, I'm very open handed. Um, you know, we can debate gifts of the Spirit. Tongues, healing, prophecy, um, all of that stuff. We can debate, um, you know, whatever it else it is that is debatable in Scripture. And uh, there's a lot, but I think that this gospel series is like the basis of everything. As long as we're good on this, we're good. You're in. So, um, this uh, episode took me a lot longer to put together than I thought it was i um there was a lot more rabbit trails and a lot more loose threads to pull than I thought there would be and I have about seven and a half pages of notes to get through, so there's gonna be a lot of information um both theological and scientific in nature as um, per usual and um, we just we got to get moving because there is a lot so here it is the problem of sin what is sin the word itself simply means to miss the mark so God set a standard that is here. It is perfection, by the way, in case you don't know. Perfect sinlessness is God's standard, and to sin is to miss the mark. So, you know, anything less than perfection is sin. Um, St. Augustine defined sin as a word, deed, or desire in opposition to the eternal law of God, so I agree with Gustin on uh with Augustine on a lot of stuff. this I don't really like so much for a couple reasons: One, it seems to infer that sin is a deliberate choice, which um you know it can be, but it isn't always because we're gonna get into sin nature here in a second, and you will understand soon. Um, my problem with Augustine's definition. And the other thing is it just it just sounds super covenantal and legalistic talking about the eternal law of God and we live in the age of grace. So I wouldn't go as far to say that Augustine was wrong, but I definitely think we need to understand some framework to... Um, not misinterpret his definition. So again, again, Augustine wasn't wrong, but uh, what can we do to more accurately define sin? So the first thing we need to understand is sin nature. Um, original sin, depravity, whatever it is you want to call it or um, subscribe to. So, what is sin nature and the idea of original sin? Um, So, this, this is, many misunderstand the idea of original sin. A lot of people don't get this right um they think of it as the original sin that first sin that adam and eve may, uh did that we have ultimately just all copied their original sin of rebellion of wanting to be our own god over and over and over and over again manifested in you know various ways sex drugs rock and roll whatever <laughs> um, over thousands of years but that is not correct um original sin actually refers to the fact that our very nature to the core of our beings apart from god is sin maybe you've heard the term sin nature maybe you've heard it in a sermon although probably not no one really talks about sin anymore um, maybe you have heard it in another podcast, or you have read it in the Bible if you actually do that <laughs> um, so i I think first to understand original sin completely, I need to paint a picture here so imagine this just imagine so God initially created the universe to be eternal to be permanent there. Um, you know, there was no entropy. So if you aren't a science type, and not that I'm a scientist, but I do, you know, I I dabble, I try and know as much about as many things as possible. It's just I am innately curious. So if you are not a sciency type, that's fine. If you don't know what entropy is, it is the loss of energy in a system. the loss of energy in a system well yeah i'm not even really sure what that means so okay look from the moment something is created or for you agnostic and atheist types that might be listening or uh, you know watching the podcast um from the moment something begins to exist okay in this universe, at least, as far as we understand, it begins to break down until it loses or expends all of its energy, ultimately leading to the end or death of that thing, whatever it may be. And that's what entropy is. Um, and that's all death really is for biological um, organisms, is just the... um uh, um. It's the final. Uh, it's entropy. So it's just it. It is the end of um, our body's entropic cascade, slowly losing energy until our cells can't function anymore and we die. So sin created entropy. Sin, sin created entropy. Why do I think this? So, God saw, uh, if you look at Genesis 1, not only was creation good, it was very good. For uh, for creation to be good uh, in the Hebrew would just be for it to be complete. But he says that it is very good. It was perfectly complete. So, there was no death, there was no destruction, there was no... Entropy. Had there not been sin, um, you know, to enter into creation, everything would have just continued perfectly. So. Um, That's the first reason I think this. And I also think there's evidence to support the idea that Paul believed this as well. Um, Romans chapter 8, we can look at verses 20 and 21. Um, I'm in the ESV if you care. Um, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. So creation itself is under a bondage of corruption. Okay? And to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So, um, if we look at that, then, um, you know, Paul... Um, Paul believed this, obviously. I mean, I don't think they understood entropy, obviously, like we do now... ...as the, uh, you know, the second law of thermodynamics... ...and uh, all that stuff. Uh, That didn't exist until the... ...18th century, I think. 19th century, as far as entropy goes. The laws of thermodynamics. But, at least in concept... Um, Paul believed that sin created the decay of the universe. So, um, he says that creation was subjected to futility. That it is in the bondage of corruption. Which means at some point prior, the universe was not futile. It was not in bondage of corruption. So, what is this? Uh, You know, idea of entropy and um, everything dying and uh, the universe ending have to do with sin nature. Well, the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that over and over and over again. And um, it doesn't just mean spiritual, spiritual death. Like we're told that sin means being separated from God, which is true. Um, it's 100% true, but the wages of sin is literally death. We die because of sin. So, creation was changed, and epigenetic factors predisposing humanity to sin entered our DNA. So, sciencey stuff too. What the crap is epigenetics? So, you've heard of genetics, you know what genes are, cool. Um, inside every gene, in, uh, uh, not just humans, but all creatures, um, everything that is, um, has the breath of life anyway, um, uh, inside our genes are basically little off and on switches, like a life, like a light switch for, um, behavior modification. So um, there's an off and on switch for, um, you know, when you're exposed to this brain chemical, you are more likely to be angry. Or if you have that switch off, you're someone that's more level-headed. People who are predisposed to addiction or, um, you know, alcoholism or this thing people that have their father's temper um so to speak or um you know their gra- or uh, you know they can't help um you know to cheat and whatever cuz their grandpa loved to sow his wild oats or whatever those aren't excuses there is actually science to that so um you know i live my life in a way this is just an example um, you know, I'm a hothead, which actually is true, but, um, let's say that, um, you know, I've never really been one to have much control when it comes to substances and things like that Uh not true. This is, this is actually just an example. So, um, that the anger thing was true though. I'm, I'm totally a hothead, but, um, um, so, you're, uh, you know, predip- predisposed, or uh, not predisposed, but you drink too much or, um, you know, you like to try different types of substances, things like that. That can actually turn on the switch in your genes for addictive behaviors um, or, uh, you know, my anger, my um, my rage um i'm sure that in my genes the epigenetic factor for um you know anger for um you know having your father's temper is turned on so all of these um all of these factors of our personality um have um an epigenetic switch inside our genome and we pass that on um through Um, you know, through having kids or whatever. So, um, the sins of the father, um, as the Bible says, are literally genetic. So, the things that cause me to sin, I pass on genetically to the next of kin. So, you figure Adam and Eve, um, you know, they sinned. So, they passed on the epigenetic markers for their rebellion to their children, to Cain and Abel, and then so Cain would have passed on his epigenetic markers for rage and for, um, you know, murderous behavior to his offspring, and sin is literally genetic. We have science to prove that sin is genetic. It is our nature. So, Science suggests this, at least, that sin is genetic, that we have um, some kind of gene inside of us, these epigenetic markers that can, um, you know, lead us to sin. But is this idea biblical? I believe it is. Uh, Jeremiah 17:9: the heart. Is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and verse 23. None is righteous, no, not one. And 23 is, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. One of my favorites, at least for this topic. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that it is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And this is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul that wrote this. He said, hey, there's all this good stuff that I want to do that I'm not even able to do. Nothing good dwells in me, for I am flesh. And then John, John the Beloved in First John, um, chapter 1, verse 8, and then verse 10, almost say the same thing. Um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make Him, that is God, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, a liar, and his word is not in us. So, um, there is tons of biblical evidence that our very nature is sin. Okay, That our heart is desperately sick, as God told Jeremiah. So, is this total depravity? Am I really going there? Do I really believe in um depravity? Um before before I say yes, I want to quote RC Sproul if that is okay. Um so total depravity does not mean utter depravity. We often use the term total As a synonym for utter or for completely. So the notion of total depravity conjures up the idea that every human being is as bad as that person could possibly be. You might think of an arch fiend of history such as Hitler and say there is absolutely no redeeming virtue in the man. But I suspect he had some affection for his mother. So um, as an aside, I don't know if Hitler loved his mom or not. But we do know historically that he was nice to cats. So um, there is that. As wicked as Hitler was, we can still conceive of ways in which he could have been even more wicked than he was. So the, uh, the idea of total... And total depravity doesn't mean that all human beings are as wicked as they can possibly be. It means that the fall was so serious that it affects the whole person. That entropy that I was talking about. The fallenness that captures and grips our human nature and affects our bodies. That's why we become ill and die. It affects our minds and our thinking. And we still have the capacity to think. But the Bible says the mind has become darkened and weak. The will of man is no longer in its pristine state of moral power. The will, according to the New Testament, is now in bondage. We are enslaved to the evil impulses and desires of our hearts. The body, the mind, the will, the spirit, indeed the whole world, person have been infected by the power of sin. I like to replace the term total depravity with my favorite designation, which is radical corruption. Ironically, the word radical has its roots in the Latin word for root, which is radix, and it can be translated root or core. The term radical has to do with something that permeates to the core of a thing. It's not something that is tangible or superficial, lying on the surface. The Reformed view is that the effects of the fall extend or penetrate to the core of our being. Even the English word core actually comes from the Latin word core, which means heart. That is, our sin is something that comes from our heart. Hearts, In biblical terms, that means it's from the core or very center of our existence. So what is required for us to be conformed to the image of Christ is not simply some small adjustment or external behavioral modification, but nothing less than renovation from the inside. We need to be regenerated, To be made over again. The only way. In which a person can escape. This radical situation. Is by the Holy Spirit. Changing the core. The heart. So. um, Under these terms. With the understanding. That total depravity. Is more of a radical corruption. um, You know. I concede. Um, I concede to the notion of total depravity, the idea that sin has corrupted, or rather, invaded every part of us. We can see that biblically, and we can and we can scientifically prove it with entropy and epigenetics. Um, ca- entropy causing death and epigenetics. Passing down sinful traits to our offspring. We sin, my friends, because we are sinners. Not sinners because we sin. That is sin nature in a nutshell. We like to look at others and the things that they're doing. That your neighbor Joe next door is um, you know, sleeping with Karen on the corner. Who are both married by the way they're both cheating on their spouses and we like to say look at what they're doing those dirty sinners and we have it backwards the fact of the matter is they were always dirty sinners and that's why they're doing what they're doing sin is what we are unfortunately and we act out of our identity Um, Just like when we are born again into Christ, we learn to act out of that identity. We do what we are, not the reverse of that. The world has it backwards. This is why we need born again. This is why the New Testament continually speaks of a renewed mind and a new heart. Okay? Okay? Just as uh, Sproul said, being a Christian is not some sort of external behavior um, modification plan. Um, That would still leave us with our sinful heart. But rather, it is God who changes us from within. He changes our desires to be the desires of His heart. So, there are those, though, despite all the evidence, that deny the idea of sin nature altogether. Um, You know, uh, leaving us at the conclusion that all sin is deliberate. Or, um, rather than that, there are those that believe Christ's death overcame our sin nature, nullifying our depravity through some kind of prevenient grace I'm restoring us to free will to sin or not to sin. I'm leaving, again, all sin, a deliberate act. In this view, since sin of the flesh, or sins of the moment, unpremeditated sin, whatever you want to call it, are already covered by prevenient grace, it is only deliberate sin, then, that keeps us from God. This leads to two, at least in my mind, two very dangerous ideas. One freely choosing God of our own volition so why is that a problem um it's popular um, because we want our free will and people don't like the idea of predestination and they don't like the idea of God choosing who are his and that actually goes back to that original sin of um you know wanting to have some control of We have too much pride, and um, we want to be in control of stuff, um, including our own lives and our own salvation. We think that we need to have a part in it. We are not okay submitting, um, you know, submitting um, to the idea that salvation comes from God. So, um... And uh, I don't like that idea for two main reasons. So, one, if all of humanity has already received prevenient grace and salvation is freely available to all, um, one just needs to make a decision to want God. Then it is by the choosing of the individual that they are saved at all, making their own salvation a work of self and not a work of God. Which is contrary to Ephesians 2. That plainly states. Salvation is by grace alone. Underline that in your Bible. Grace alone. Only. Just by grace. And not of ourselves. That no one can boast. In the act of their own salvation. Salvation is by God's grace And there is nothing you can do to bring about your own salvation. It is by grace alone. So the other issue I have with this idea of, um, you know, prevenient grace and um, the idea of um, being able to choose whether or not we're saved is what they call presuppositional apologetics. So, if you don't know what that is, obviously it's in the title. Um, we do presuppose a few things, um but it is biblical, and that is you are either dead in your sin or alive in Christ. like those are those are your options. You're either alive in Christ and you ab- and you're abiding in the Spirit with God, or you are dead in your sin. Okay, so someone who is dead can't just decide to be alive. Can can you imagine that? Dude's just laying dead in the hospital. Okay, he's dead. He's off life support. No heartbeat or whatever. And then he just decides, you know what? I'm going to be alive. And then he gets up and he walks out. So, uh no. And uh, I use that example because the wages of sin is death. As we know, literally death. So, you are dead in sin. That doesn't just mean spiritually. It does mean you have the characteristics of a dead man. You are dead in sin or alive in Christ. Someone who is dead... Cannot decide to be alive. Someone who is dead cannot decide to be alive because they're dead and dead men don't decide things. If provenient grace is true, then some kind of um, you know, no longer dead but not fully alive state exists. And uh, since we all have prevenient grace and uh, the decision to choose God is available to all of us, Uh, The fact that we can choose life means we're no longer dead. But if we're no longer dead in our sin, and the only alternative is to be alive in Christ, then we're all saved already. And that is universalism, which is definitely not biblical. So, um, I I don't see, you know, after uh, making those two points, how there can be any kind of Prevenient grace, which lives which leaves us with total depravity, and um then the second thing that um the idea of prevenient grace can lead to that is dangerous is um holiness doctrines. So I have less of a problem with holiness in theory, but it can be a disaster in practice. Um, I have known people who have just destroyed people's lives because they be- they misunderstood this doctrine of holiness and believed that they couldn't sin. So, um, holiness doctrine basically states that if we live under... Um, well, this is the correct understanding. So, um, if we live under prevenient grace... And um, our sin nature is already paid for by the initial um, the initial act of the cross. Um, and uh, when we come to a saving faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit begins to sanctify us and change us and make us more like God, it is possible for us to be perfectly sanctified and reach a point in our lives where we never choose deliberate sin. Um, As long as you understand it correctly, and you understand the difference between sins of the flesh, that is your sin nature, um, and deliberate sin, um, I'm okay with the possibility of perfect sanctification. But um, it isn't typically taught that way, and people don't understand the fine detail. So what So what it doesn't mean is that you will live a perfect life and never sin. And what it does mean is that your heart aligns with the heart of God. And any time in your life when your brain comes up with a bad thing, you are able every time to choose God and say, No, I'm not going to do that thing. And there's never deliberate choices to sin in your life. But you are backed into a corner, little white lie, you know n- no thought no premeditation that's a sin of the flesh um you know you're what uh you're watching a movie or whatever and um you know there's a hot girl on the screen and uh uh, uh you know your mind thinks back to the girl you had a one night stand with when you were 15 um automatically like you didn't choose for your mind to go there Um, That's because you have a depraved mind. It has fallen, um, as, as I think I've already made the case for. So those don't go away. Those are just sins of being human because sin is our nature. So if you are willing to make that distinction and understand the difference between sins of weakness and deliberate sin, then I am okay with the idea of Holiness or perfect sanctification um, so what does it all mean? Everything we've talked about with the wages of sin being death and um entropy um causing our bodies to decay and get ill and die. And uh, entropy causing um, the universe to break down and eventually destroy itself in a giant fireball um, due to an entropic cascade. Um, That is all because of sin. So the wages of sin is death. So um, just real quick, I talked about at the beginning that God created the universe perfect. It was supposed to be eternal. There was never any death. Then Adam and Eve sinned. God killed an animal. The first thing to ever die. They saw it bleed. They saw it die. God made clothes for them from its skin. They literally witnessed the repercussions of their rebellion. God killed a thing to cover their sin. And then he did it again. With his son, with Jesus Christ, he killed his son in the flesh, a perfect sacrifice to cover your sin. Just as he killed a lamb to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. But since Jesus was God, this is a perfect sacrifice we can all claim that we're all covered by. So um, that was just, just a side note there. That the wages of sin is death. Literally, Adam and Eve saw God kill a thing to cover their sin as a result of their, um, you know, as a result of their sin. So, now, if we have sin nature, does that mean that we're exempt since sin is our nature and we can't help it? um, You know, eh, I, no. Just just no. Because even if there is some kind of prevenient grace, which which there's not, by the way, but let's just say there is. Even if there is some kind of prevenient grace that exempts us from sins of the flesh, we're still accountable for our deliberate sin. The wages of sin is what? It's death. Sin equals death. Death. Because there is sin, things die. Okay? The wages of sin is death. Death. Ask yourself, have you really never done anything wrong on purpose? You've never you've never just said, "You know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to go ahead and have sex. I'm going to go ahead and try that drug. I'm going to have that next drink and get myself drunk." I'm going to say this behind that person's back. Um, you know, if you have, you are guilty. If there's not prevenient grace, then you're guilty of all of it. So, Um, I really want you to think about that. So, um, if you are guilty against God, if you have sin in your life, if you have missed God's mark of perfection, then what? Well, in two weeks we're talking about hell. So, um... I guess we will continue this discussion then. Um, Just keep in mind, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And I really want you to think, if you've done, um, you know, even if we are absolved of our sins of weakness, our sins of the moment, I really want you to think, to a time in your life where you have deliberately done the wrong thing and then ask yourself well, if I'm guilty against God then what? then what indeed? We will cover that next time thank you for listening to Reconstructed Faith where we examine what we believe question everything in order to understand it better I hope that this has stretched your mind, blessed your heart, and touched your soul. And you are one step closer to reconstructed faith.